0: So one of the more interesting topics to discuss um, early in the United States is the formation of various political parties. So today we, we kind of had this firmly ingrained uh, dichotomy between the Republican Party and Democratic Party, but it was not always that way. What's particularly interesting about the evolution and change, you know, the, the fracturing, the reforming of different political uh, organizations was that they always carried with them uh, specific ideological uh, differences and agreements. And we can actually look at these formations of political parties as a way to demonstrate uh, the concentration of pro-slavery thought in the emergent Democratic Party and also the concentration of anti-slavery or abolitionism uh, that ultimately formed the basis uh, for the Republican Party. So what we have is, uh, <clears throat> you initially have the largest party, the national party, the Democratic Republican Party. So that's hyphenated, uh, which is ironic considering how things, you know, <laughs> how things in, ended up uh, in the present day. But you had the Democrat Republican Party, and you also had the Federalist Party, which was it was much smaller, much weaker, but did it did suffer um, some victories. Now the first uh, big break. In uh, that changed uh, party formations uh, really didn't occur until about eighteen twenty 1820 or eighteen twenty four, depending on how you wanna how you wanna examine it. And that was that was when the Democrat Party formed. Now what's what's critical to understand is at this point uh, this was Calhounism being adopted, and so that is what initially split the party, uh, and that manifested itself. Uh, largely through Andrew Jackson at the time, and also, of course, John C. Calhoun, and just the kind of the, uh, the, the c- convergence of radical pro-slavery ideology. Uh, now, for their part, uh, there were still some variations here. The Whigs formed at approximately the same time. Now, Whigs were largely uh, kind of a regional party, so Northern Whigs were generally opposed to slavery. Southern Whigs were either ambivalent, or adopted more of kind of old-school founding-era doctrine, where it should be restricted and left to die out, but they were opposed to especially federal intervention in the institution. Uh, But what's interesting is that begins to change. Uh, You have the Liberty Party that forms in 1839. Uh, They were pretty small, uh, but they were really the first openly abolitionist, party uh where the whigs kind of had variations uh as far as kind of founding era gradual emancipation slave restriction type thing necessary evil uh and the democrat party of course at this point was already far to the extreme other side it was uh it was calhounism so it was you know slavery should be not just federally protected but it should be expanded into new territories and new states. Uh, Pains should be taken to acquire new slave territory. Uh, you know, so this you know we eventually had the Mexican American War that was instigated and triggered uh, by Democrat President Pierce. Uh, we had attempts to purchase Cuba with the intent of spreading slavery. Uh, and then you had uh, you have Free Soilers that broke off from the Democrat Party. So these were Northern Democrats generally. And free soilers were not necessarily opposed to slavery as it existed, but like northern or southern Whigs and some and most northern Whigs, uh, they were opposed to it spreading to the new territory. Hence, free soil. Uh, they uh, they were largely northern. Uh, Frederick Douglass, for example, was a free soiler. So was Walt Whitman. Uh, Actually, a lot of the real big names that would later go on as Republicans uh, were, at this point, uh, Free Soilers. Uh, the, now, a note on the, the Democrat Party here. Uh, so it was generally founded, except at around 1824. They, there are some that argue that it occurred and was formed far earlier. Uh, but they're, they're guiding principles which you can see really in their platforms uh they also identify themselves with uh states rights which is an erroneous notion and it uses the word rights incorrectly in order to falsely attribute what should be the authority of rights onto a state that doesn't have rights it just has specific authorities and powers um but they were uh, they were also anti-tariff and anti-national banking system. Now, the reason that they were anti-tariff primarily uh, is because um, they depended on the importation of many goods because, uh, again, the Democratic Party was the party of the South. Uh, really, those two things are synonymous. Yes, there were Northern Democrats, uh, but no, they were not anti-slavery. Uh, they had some positions that varied from the South, but in instances where political solidarity was required, uh, there was virtually no difference. Uh, we can see that with uh, the adoption of the gag rule, for example, and the rejection of the Wilmot Proviso uh, later on. But they, uh, you know, they depended heavily on imports and exports. They sold their cotton all around the world, particularly to Britain. Uh, and so they were opposed to tariffs uh, for no other reason than it was a problem for their economy. You know, one can't really blame them for, you know, that kind of a practical uh, disagreement. So, you know, with the Whigs, the Democrat Party all formed from kind of the mother parties, Democrat, Republican, and Federalist. And then you have the Free Soilers, the Liberty Party, and then you have a kind of a smaller group called the Know-Nothing Party, uh, which formed throughout the 1850s. It was originally a kind of a secret society. It was an anti-immigrant kind of group. Uh, They were called the Know-Nothings because, not unimaginatively, it's kind of like a pseudo-fight club thing. Uh, Every member was required to respond with, I know nothing, if they were uh, asked about the group by anybody outside the group. Uh, So they were very nativist. Uh, They were opposed to immigration, uh, and especially Catholics, so especially Irish immigration. Uh, But on the, the issue of slavery, they were pretty regional. So if the Know-Nothings were in the North, they were generally opposed to slavery. Uh, In the South, they were generally, again, ambivalent or approving, uh, which is strange because their largest complaints with uh, immigration was its impact on the labor market, and slavery destroyed labor markets. Uh, So in uh, 1854, you have the kind of late-to-the-game formation of the Republican Party. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, also called the GOP or Gallant Old Party or Grand Old Party. And the reason for that moniker was that the Republican Party was formed uh, not specifically to pursue federal op- uh, abolition, although that's actually the Democrat Party accused them of. Uh, but And uh, it was a call to return to the founding era, to founding principles, and to the founding understanding of slavery. Uh, they wanted to re-implement the type of federal restrictions on slave expansionism that the founders had put into place. Uh, And they wanted to uh, not force northern states to enforce uh, such things like the Fugitive Slave Act uh, that sought to essentially deputize any and all northern citizens as subjects of the federal government in order to uh, assist in the capture of slaves. Uh, Which was obviously a gross gross overstep of constitutional restrictions. Uh, so the Republican Party uh, was actually uh, founded with the Republican part being der- derived from uh, Jefferson. Now there's some some dispute largely by Democrats at the time that they were in fact the party of Jefferson. Uh, they most certainly were not. It hardly even deserves the dignity of specific response because uh, one need look no further than their Uh, platforms to understand that they were (laughs) they were in opposition to jefferson really the only thing they had in common was uh, jefferson was a a big fan of uh kind of an agrarian culture uh and the south was as well uh but uh as illustrated in other episodes jefferson was not pro-slavery in fact he was he was so effective as an anti-slavery statesman that uh the legendary john c calhoun um kind of maligned and decried how obstructive Jefferson was to slavery's expansionism and protection. Uh, not something that you would hear a pro-slavery politician say about another pro-slavery politician, assuming that's correct. So what, what precipitated the formation of the Republican Party, other than just kind of this growing irrepressible conflict, this ideological issue with slavery, uh, was the Kansas-Nebraska Act, and what this act essentially said was uh, you know, this tor- territory here uh, it's going to vote itself whether slavery is, well, whether it's a free state or a slave state. Uh, which, of course, is still in defiance of natural rights theory uh, and the founding era because your natural rights, your civil rights should not be subjected to a vote. Uh, they're supposed to be an, uh you know, untouchable. You know, obviously, that's not how things have panned out since then. But in theory, that's how it should be. And thus, you should not be able to vote to own somebody. Uh, you know, that's a majoritarian tyranny warned about by Aristotle, warned about by Plato, Socrates, warned about by uh, James Madison, uh, wrote about in the Federalist Papers, uh, warned b- about by Thomas Jefferson. It was a, a well-known, established historical fact that... Uh, that direct democracy was tyranny. And so what, what this Kansas-Nebraska Act did uh, was say, hey, if we can get more people to vote to be a slave state, they will be a slave state. Uh, which, of course, set off the events called uh, known as Bleeding Kansas, which I cover uh, in a separate podcast. But uh, Horace Greeley actually kind of wrote uh, an article in uh, the New York Tribune and in that article, it was, it was essentially an ideological call to arms for all people who, you know, with your Whig, Free Soil, Liberty Party, even Democrat, if you're opposed to slavery, we need to concentrate our efforts. And that largely created the impetus uh, for the formation of the uh, Republican Party. Now, it, it, it formed unofficially in 1854. I didn't officially enter politics in 1856, and we know this because of its, uh, of its platform. So I'm going to read briefly uh, from the very first platform, the Republican Party, uh, published in 1856. And one of its issues reads uh, that with our Republican fathers, we hold it to be a self-evident truth, That all men are endowed with their inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the primary object and ulterior design of our federal government were to secure these rights to all persons under its exclusive jurisdiction. That, as our Republican fathers, when they had abolished slavery in all of our national territory, ordained that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. It becomes our duty to maintain this provision of the Constitution, against all attempts to violate it for the purpose of establishing slavery in the territories of the United States by positive legislation, prohibiting its existence or extension therein, that we deny the authority of Congress of a territorial legislation of any individual or association of individuals to give legal existence to slavery in any territory of the United States while the present Constitution shall be maintained. So very clearly they highlight here a return to kind of foundational moorings of how slavery should be addressed. There's no mention of abolitionism here. Now, some people might say, well, that's a moral blight upon them, but it's not. uh, Because just like the founders, they understood, well, if we can just reinstitute these restrictions, slavery will wither and die. And this is even more true at this time period than it had been in the founding era with the advent of industrial processes and techniques and manufacturing. Uh, the South was already so far behind the North in railroads, banks, manufacturing capability, even the production of foodstuffs. Uh, the South was essentially just a massive cotton mill with a secondary focus in tobacco. Uh, you can't eat tobacco or cotton. Uh, essentially just cash crops. So they, they wanted to return to the founding era. And this is an imperative thing to understand because... Uh, Democrats uh, at the time uh, attributed the Republican Party as an abolitionist party, called them black Republicans. And the purpose was they were creating, again, a straw man. They understood that abolition, uh, universal abolition, was not only constitutionally untenable, uh, but would have disastrous consequences. Uh, Most likely a civil war uh, based on racial lines. Uh, and, of course, uh, slaves were not prepared to function healthfully to their own happiness in a free society at this point. Uh, for generations, the Southern Democrats had suppressed education. They have uh, perpetuated literacy. Uh, they had encouraged promiscuity, uh, you know, what they called natural increase, uh, for the purpose of expanding their own wealth. Uh, and, of course, the invention of the cotton gin uh, meant that slaves were in higher demand than they ever had been actually in world history. And so they also understood that a return to the founding principles would, just as it had initially, ultimately destroy slavery. And they could not argue against that as a just and reasonable position to have. And so instead, they maligned Republicans as the abolitionist party so they could argue against abolition. Uh, and that's, that's what they did. If you read through the different debates or newspaper publications at the time, uh, the arguments being presented against the Republican Party were never for gradual emancipation. Uh, it was always against the consequences of unconstitutional abolition, which is curious because it's never in a Republican Party platform. And Abraham Lincoln, as uh, the first presidential candidate for the Republican Party, specifies that he's not interested at all in pursuing abolition. He's simply interested in a return to the founding understanding of things. Now, Lincoln uh, quickly arose as kind of the symbol of this new party. Uh, And in his Peoria speech in 1854, uh, he addresses kind of the... Conflicts between Republicans and Democrats At the time uh, He talks about how uh, Kind of the oxymoronic uh, Conception of slaves As both property and humans uh, Dr. Benjamin Franklin In uh, one of my personal favorite lines uh, From the uh, kinda, uh, Around the time of the convention uh, There's a, a Democrat slaveholder arguing uh, for the greatness of slavery and and uh, really just a crying that slaves were going to be taxed any differently than a footstool or sheep. And uh, Dr. Franklin responds, sheep do not make insurrections. And uh, that ceases the conversation. Like the gentleman who had been arguing profusely before just, I assume, just returned to his seat and was like, well, Franklin has spoken. So... Uh, what's, what's really interesting to watch in this kind of fracturing and reformation of all these political parties is that ultimately it was almost exclusively over slavery. Uh, and, of course, this started early in the life of the, of, uh, of the nation with uh, the pro-slavery pro-sla- clergymen migrating into the South. Um, that was kind of the first big ideological shift. Now, specific to just these political parties, every fracturing was along slave lines. Uh, So when the Democrat-Republican Party fractured, uh, those that were most opposed to slavery formed the Whigs, and those most in favor formed the Democrat Party. Uh, Same thing with the the Federalists, who first went and formed briefly a National Republican Party, which is some... uh, uh, statesmen still identify themselves as that as they joined the Whigs, not unlike um, some members of the Libertarian Party today who run as Republicans, uh, but still continue to identify themselves as Libertarians. Um, the Liberty Party obviously formed exclusively into the Republican Party since uh, they were they were an abolitionist group. Uh, the Know Nothings they fractured and they joined based on their position on slavery, so that generally meant that. Uh, Northern membership and the Know Nothings joined the Republicans. Southerns joined the Democrats. Uh, and then you have the the Free Soil Party, which is of course the offshoot of Northern Democrats, uh, and they just joined into the Republican Party. Uh, they were they were quite short lived. Uh, they were also called barn burners uh, in the North uh, because well they were obviously because of their position on slavery they were not uh, favor- favorably looked upon. So you have all of these fracturings, and in every instance, it's this collection of pro- or anti-slavery political philosophy. So by the formation of the Republican Party, you have two very different political uh, groups, very opposite ends of the spectrum. On a number of issues, but chief among them, for our purposes, it will be the issue of slavery. And on that issue, they were diametrically opposed. Uh, Republicans signified a return to the... Uh, kind of foundational principles that the nation was uh, was created to to pursue in the Declaration and Constitution, and really the Democratic Party was were the first progressives. Um, they uh, they had better ideas than what the Founding was, and they had these new ideas, and they felt that uh, they had to move away uh, because times had changed. You know, with the cotton gin and and industrialization, the Democrats argued that. Uh, a lot of the founding founding ideas no longer applied. And of course, this was you know less than a hundred years after the declaration was signed, uh, let alone as it elevates uh, into the modern day. so the the formation of political parties uh, is is kind of one part of the larger uh, big switch myth, uh, which will be addressed at length separately uh, in a uh, different video or podcast that will also incorporate a lot of the information uh, addressed here. but, Suffice it to say, for our purposes, uh, that by the Civil War, uh, you had two political parties in power. One was for uh, opposition to slavery, and one was uh, for the forceful uh, expansion and protection of slavery. And those parties were the Republican and Democratic parties, uh, respectively. And there is no amount of historical revision that will ever change that. And this division would continue uh, into the Civil War and beyond and especially into the Reconstruction Era, which uh, saw uh, just horrendous amounts of political terrorism uh, predicated by the Democrat Party through uh, the formation of white supremacist groups like the Ku Klux Klan, uh, which was really just an expansion of ideas presented by Douglas. really. Uh, So we will explore, uh, especially the Reconstruction Era, in uh, some subsequent videos. Uh, But leading up to the Civil War... You have the irrepressible conflict had essentially come to fruition. Uh, The ideological divide was so severe. It was so opposed that uh, there was no possibility of compromise. Um, As Lincoln uh, addressed it in his House Divided speech, uh, the nation would either exist all slave or exist uh, all free.